inside my head. I try to turn it down, but I can't quite drown it out. I'm tortured. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're listening to Society Bites Radio, and I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer. And I'm Sherry Himmer, and this is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. For the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. So we are into week one million, it feels like, in quarantine and (laughs) being close with our loved ones with no break in sight. Um, And things are just now in certain places in the country starting to open up, um, which is, you know, a relief. And we're just praying and hoping that everyone is safe and well and getting through all of this. But we notice that and we hear that a lot of families have noticed that there's tensions in their homes that they wish weren't there, that there is levels of toxicity and being, you know, going go through that confinement just uh, kind of brings some things to the surface. And so how do you address toxicity within a family when you kind of feel like, oh, I've had way too much of a particular person and I'm not dealing with it well and I'm in my mind saying I can't change them, but I just feel overwhelmed with maybe a person or two. What I'm noticing is the um, the irritants that were before the, the corona quarantine mm-hmm. have exacerbated. Yeah. So they're getting, you know, more magnified because the intensity, you know, enclosed in a, in a home without being able to get out of it um, is magnifying the challenges. People are more in resistance. Now, this is outside the fact that suicide rates um, have gone up, that the suicide hotline is increased by 25-fold, that domestic violence has increased, um, a lot of abuse, physical, sexual, and emotional is going on. I'm, I'm not talking about that. That's a whole different challenge. Okay. I'm just talking – what we're going to address today is how to address a toxic scenario in your home um, – What's one thing you could do? What's one solution you could approach? And keep in mind that we're not suggesting you're going to solve someone else. This is how you can do it by taking responsibility for yourself. So we're going to share a story, a case study, along with a lot of details going into that case study. And as a side note, somewhat um, just to inform you, we've launched a new website that supports this. It's called HimmerInstitute.com. This whole case study is put together in a format. Maybe you could address the format since you're pretty good at that. So uh, as content designer, we've taken what could be a one-day solution or a solution that you could sit down in one sitting in front of your um, computer and do a course that would help walk you through um, how and what you can do when you're dealing with a toxic relationship, especially in family. And... And then we'll talk about another course that we have that's more workplace related. But these are free courses on HimmerInstitute.com where you can go and sign up and take this course. And we are building a whole curriculum of of courses um, for emotional intelligence. Yeah, so the backdrop there is um, I got my last master's degree and PhD all online. So on a course similar to this, Sherry, as a school teacher, especially with uh, the quarantining, um, you're... You do all your teaching using that process with Zoom. So we're going to take what we've both learned and done for so many years, and we're basically bringing all the material online 
and we're introducing these courses complementary to introduce you to them. Yeah. And what's different than maybe listening to us on a podcast, which is fun and I hope are fun, is that the course is going to prompt you to think. It's going to prompt you to act in certain places within the material. So if you're listening to what we're doing today, that's going to help you. And it's going to help you unzip even more what's in the course. It can be very complimentary. But the course itself is going to give you that opportunity to reflect and act. And that's different because when you're driving your car and listening to podcasts or you're out for a job and jog and listening to a podcast, you're just absorbing and you're contemplating, but this is going beyond contemplating. Putting you into action. Mm -hmm. And the first course is called One Solution to Soften a Toxic Relationship at Home, and we're going to share it with you. So this will actually be part of the course. Yeah, you're going to get some pieces of it, and then so, just know you can go deeper in the course. So we're going to go through it this way. It starts out with uh, our protagonist is Lori. It, that, that, no matter what she seemed to do, it was wrong. She just was having a rough go. Her efforts to help the teenagers with their homework usually ended in a shouting match. Even her second grader ran to dad. Her siblings are out the door when mom tried to help. So, yeah, they're they're all together, and this could be quarantine, right? And um, everybody wants to avoid her. Her husband avoided her like a contagious virus, love the metaphor, with a buffer zone of the, of one room. If she was in the living room, he was not. He would take an Uber around the house just to avoid catching the virus. He lost his voice in her presence years ago, and she's the only one who didn't see it. Um, I wrote this with multiple, a dozen or more people in mind. This is not unusual. I call it an invisible divorce, only because they live in the same home. They still love each other, at least their version of love, but they're not communicating. They're not connecting. And one will oftentimes lose his or her voice because the other one isn't aware that that's going on. This is pr pretty normal stuff. The question would be, that: do you ever feel that way? Are you the one who's lost his or her voice, your voice? And the next question is, and this is uh, a little bit more profound, are you just becoming aware perhaps that your spouse or children don't have a voice? that no one wants to talk around you? Do you have someone around you that fits the description on either side? And is it you, but you don't want to admit it? Most mm -hmm. toxic people are not aware of their toxicity. They don't mean to be toxic, critical, or controlling. And they don't understand why people get offended when they are. And they may not even be aware that they're offended. So take notice if there's avoidance happening too. So Lori has two parts to her challenge. She perceives she's right. And she's also hardwired to connect. And she's not being able to connect. Before you move on, she might be right. The point that we're going to talk about here is it doesn't matter. If you're the one who feels that you're right, it just is irrelevant in the grand scheme of things if you're not connecting. So it, it's interesting to see that when you take item number two, hardwiring to connect, that's something that we all are driven towards, and we talk about a lot on this podcast. At birth, we are innately driven to attach and accept three entities. And this is, we're going to take that of the two things that her challenges are and yeah. make it the priority. So entity number one, the first attachment is your mother. Remember, this comes at birth. The relationship between infants and their primary caregivers, which would be mother and father, is responsible for shaping the success 
or failure of future emotional and physical relationships. It impacts the infant's ability to maintain emotional balance and find their identity. In other words, their authentic self. To live in acceptance means one can channel energy around or through the body or mind without collecting like a reservoir. Acceptance doesn't not, does not mean one agrees with you or the situation, but that one can be present and neutral while maintaining their identity. For the past couple of years, I've shared my challenges growing up, and I would like, not that I'm looking for challenges, but Sherry, I would like you to speak to what it was like connecting with your mother. You know, she's passed away and your father's passed away. Mm -hmm. So just in a more of a reflective, I would like you to address, and we're going to do each one, mother, father, and then the parents as a singular unit. So what was mom like for you? So mom was all warmth. And with us kids, she was extremely open-minded. She was very much our champion. And when we expressed the least bit of interest, she was all over that. She was um, trying to find resources for us and often would steer us towards resources mm. or help provide them, but never force them. Um, I don't, I, the only one thing I remember is that I wanted to take ballet and gymnastics like my one of my sisters who was extremely gifted at it, and I was not because I couldn't turn a cartwheel to save the life of me. And wasn't and that mom, more out of protection? Well, see, that, <laughs> in, in a way, she was a little being a little protective, like, let's not see you fail this, but I really wanted it. And she saw that I was really gifted with music, and so therefore she steered me towards something that was definitely my strength. That's an effective. So she mother. saw us for who we were, and she was being very effective as a mother. Yeah. But I still was like, well, why didn't I get the gymnastics? Why didn't I? You know. And later, when I was a teen, I was like, well, mom, there you go. I'm going to go pay for my own dance lessons and things like that. And I found well, a way to work dance. Dances and gymnastics. Though. And you know, she she accepted that. <laughs> And she was she was really open to that. I you know I played clarinet and um, I signed up at one point to take voice lessons to help me with my breathing and my clarinet. And then I really enjoyed the voice lessons and that became my instrument of choice. And um, my mom she was willing to pay for them. I had sought out the teacher because she had already instilled in that we were always developing ourselves and and talents performing arts talents was a big thing in our home. So I, I didn't know this until years later, but my mom thought it was really interesting how long my voice lessons would go. And my voice lesson would teach her. She was really renowned. She would give me my lesson um, and then she'd want to chat. And my mom thought like, what's going on at these voice lessons? I did not know my mom was skeptical. She never gave an inkling of this. Mm. But years later, she told me that she had signed up with Miss Margaret Miles was her, was her name and took like a month's worth of voice lessons to find out what the heck was going on with my oh, voice. That's with why him. she took the lessons. You had told me she'd taken the lessons, right. but I never knew why. And I don't know if it was, I mean, most of it was behind, my mom was trying to figure out what was going on. She let me be independent. She had raised me <clears throat> to, you know, by the now I was like a senior in high school. Yeah, yeah. And I was driving myself to my lessons and my mom handed me a check every week and, you know, she paid for them. But I didn't find out until I was adult that she was like checking up on me without letting me know. And I think that was pretty, pretty amazing and clever <laughs> because she didn't want to step on my toes, but she was still being my mom, you know, and that just warms my heart yeah. to this day. And when I found out, I thought, that's creepy. You checked up on me. But now about that, I'm a mom. I'm like, but the way she checked up on you yeah. never infringed on no, your agency. It didn't. And she felt fine. She I mean. 
whatever evidence she came from that, she concludes and was like, Miss Margaret Miles is super chatty, but she's a really nice lady. And that woman had become my friend, right. um, even though she was, you know, much older. So um, my mom <laughs> did some great things. Now, that is a good story. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. My dad. Um, well, let me get to dad. Let me yeah, get to dad. Yeah. The okay. second, well, the I was second... going to say, what my mom was where she was open with us, she was not entirely always open with my dad. And I'm going to go there on the third entity. That's parents, right? Mm-hmm. So just please, if I could hang, mm-hmm. have you hang on. The second entity is the father. The importance of the father cannot be overstated. Too many young girls, for example, and this would be going to, into um, coupling issues here. Because <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to risk it. It's, when we say coupling, both. we don't mean couples. We're getting. It's the way you up. understand it, contextually or non-contextually. We're going to talk about yeah. chunks of things connected together so, and disconnected. Too many young girls in this example become compromised during their early teenage years because they never connect with their fathers in their youth. And this is not only divorced or absentee fathers or abusive fathers. I'm talking about fathers who stay married, who are in the home, but do not know how to emotionally connect with their children. It is as um, adverse to that child when the dads who get stuck in their heads, who don't understand how to connect emotionally, that child, and particularly the girls, when they don't have the connection with a male, will seek out any kind of male attention when they're older, especially into their teenage years, and will compromise their values at the expense of getting the three A's, affirmation, affection, and approval. Okay. So So do we want to break apart my dad? Not yet. Let's just do a couple more here. So little girls and little boys definitely crave the attention of their father. And the older they get, the stronger the drive is to connect. Experienced parents who are aware and have raised their children often comment on the tipping point when the child's attention would wane from the mother and wax towards the father. So address that what happened in our life because we have five boys. right? Okay. And our family. Well, um, you know, being the mom of five boys, um, there's just a, a sweet thing that happens between mother and sons. Um, my boys... I thoroughly enjoyed as babies, toddlers, every stage. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing more fun to me than like a nine-year-old boy. I, As a teacher, I love that age. And I love um, even boys and girls that age because they're so highly inquisitive. Oh, that's a but, great age. But just Cub Scouts at nine years yeah. old, it's the best. And then... <laughs> things happen, right? And then things happen. <laughs> and... And I was fortunate that our teenage boys still really stayed attached to me, but they definitely need their dads. Come around 10, 11, they've got to start seeing how they're connected to their dads in order to see themselves because they know they're becoming a man. And that's that age group 9 to 14 that scientists Mm -hmm. and researchers have discovered is so critical. When you go out into the world to see if the world knows who you are, they're bringing balance into the equation. They're leaving uh, a maternal type influence that's predominant because they're in the home with the mom, mom's yeah. everything. And now they're realizing that I need balance in my life. And well, that's the and, dad. and they need that foundation of the dad early on. They definitely do. But it becomes more imperative about Thanks. about 10 to 11. And that's better said. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. So in in our home that that happened many times Sherry would be frustrated because the she's trying to get the boys to yeah, obey, well, right? Like I could motivate them their whole lives and then all of a sudden my motivation techniques um their attention to me 
is not like they're like, you're asking me to do what? I wish you could see your face right yeah, now. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> and then you walk and I say, you know, I've been trying to get him to take out the trash for three hours now, and he just won't do it. I'm getting nowhere with him. And you walk, hey, son, what you doing? You got to get this trash out. And they're like, yeah, you're right, man. I'm on it. <laughs> and it also becomes this testosterone experience because they get to prove themselves. But for a mom to ask it just is nothing. Yeah, and that, all, all we're suggesting here is, um, and I've had the mothers in my office just frustrated because they can't move the child left or right. And uh, and the delicate scenario that I find myself in is helping the father understand how to support the wife. So the father and the mother become a singular unit. And the principle behind it, so mothers do not take offense when your sons and even your daughters ignore you a little bit, is that they're growing to be independent and so they are having to, as much as they still need their connection to you, they have to grow independent of you. And and it always looks like ignoring, and it always looks it does, like right. minor rebellions and things like that. I mean, yesterday was a great example. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, and, and so I guess what I want to say is, as moms, don't turn that into an opportunity to become a victim. And a an nag. And an nag. Yeah. Like, it's okay to drop it. And let them have consequences. And it's okay to say, well, you know, or to say, you got to take out the garbage before you do this and this, and then walk away. And and it's that disengagement from that is more healthy than the constant engagement into it. I want to jump on that because what I get in the office normally is the mothers won't let it go. And so they become a persecutor, a hovering person, a helicopter, a snowplow, and that creates anxiety and challenge after challenge, not only in the relationship, but in their internal psyche, because they don't want to become their mother. And then they, they either become the mother or the antithesis of the mother. So they go from hovering to chaos. In other words, we're suggesting you find a balance in the space. Yeah. And the one thing I felt that was an advantage is that you would let me know what was going on. We would talk about yeah. it. And just out of full disclosure here, I wouldn't go in there, hey, you got to take the trash out. I'd ask them, what is going on? Yeah. What have you been asked to do? You know, has she asked you to do X or Y? And then they just come to a realization. And then I don't have to force the hand, but it just. But you could just say, hey, take the trash out, bud, and they would do it. it right. But I don't want to go that direction because right. then I'm telling them what to do. He's, you know, 17, 18, whatever. And dads, I guess I'm speaking to you now. If you help delegate to the child, a little bit about what's going on. Let them figure out, connect the dots, and then show support for the mom, your wife. It's going to look like the two of you are on the same page rather than, hey, just do this. Or another thing that I see is the dad's kind of sweeping because mom's been trying to get him to do something and there's tension in the air, right? Well, dad's sweeping and try to be the nice guy mm -hmm. and try to be the friend, good guy, bad guy. Yeah. That's horrible. Don't come in there and try to be your son's friend. This isn't a good cop, bad cop scenario. You're a parent. When your first objective is to be a friend, you cease to be a parent. So delegate to the child what needs to be done. Okay. Yeah. And so you can see how like our protagonist, Lori, if she thinks she's right <clears throat> because she has to get all these people to do things, it's really easy to get sucked into that as a mom. And that's what's happening with her. She's hovering. Mm -hmm. to the point of snow plowing, and that's going to push your children away. So now, what was it like for you and your father? I'm so, not forgetting this. Yeah, so, <laughs> so my dad was, he had a, he was a force to, to deal with. He had a very dominant feel. 
he was a heavy-footed man. So his presence, literally and li- figuratively, literally, literally and figuratively, when Dad walked in the door, you felt it and you knew it. Yeah. And and there was kindness, but it was always heavy and and a bit authoritative. Um, like you didn't want to disturb his space too much. There's a difference between authoritative and authoritarian. He yeah. was authoritative. Yes. Authoritarian would be on the negative side. But for me, especially, he shared his space in a way that was very inviting, but you didn't really have an option. (laughs) But you knew that you were gonna come out for the better for it. So if it meant like he had to go downstairs, the furnace isn't working and he's going to wrangle that furnace, I always think of the the scene of the dad at Christmas, right? So my dad wasn't swearing and he didn't get frustrated. He was cool and collective. He was the James Bond of the furnace. Yes, he was. And he's like, Sherry, I'm fixing the furnace. I need you to come on down. You're like, great, <laughs> stop playing Barbies to so go fix the furnace. And you go down there and it's a lesson. Uh-huh. Now, this is what we're looking at. And do you know what this little piece is right here? You're like, I have no idea. I've never seen that. This is an orifice. This is a natural gas <laughs> orifice. And the gas pressure. And then you've got this whole physics uh, lesson. I can hear his voice. I know. And, and so I'm kind of like, glassy eyed, like I have no idea what I'm hearing. I'm seven years old, but I know a lot about physics now. And you know, honestly, I did. I I, I attribute all my engineering and scientific brilliance to my dad and those lessons because you wouldn't really have an option, but you learned a lot. And so that is a way to connect. I mean, it wasn't too overbearing and it wasn't too toxic, but it was a connection and it, it rooted me for life. And it was his emotional connection to you because then he would quiz you afterwards. Right. You always got to And I remember watching those. Yeah. And I want to, I want to add one piece. So that was my entire childhood. And we even had dinner time tests um, as kids. My dad would quiz us at the dinner table. We had to, couldn't leave the table until we finished the quiz. <laughs> I know you're laughing, but it's real. Um, I have one sister who only, she was the only one that had nerve to get up and leave the table uh-huh. and storm out sometimes. Um, the rest of us also said like, Ooh, I would never do that. Um, but when things got emotionally hard as a teenager, right, it was right. my dad. Like that was the biggest surprise to me when I didn't get the score on the ACT test that I wanted and I was bawling in my room. It was my dad who came in, who ventured past that closed door into the crying teenage girl to comfort me. When I was upset about a letter I'd received from a boy and what he had written or something, and my heart was feeling like broken, it was my dad who came into that room and hugged me and held me in his arms. Sherry's dad is very intellectual. He's the engineer mindset that I've referred to many times, oftentimes stuck in the head. But to his credit, he knew how to reach out and connect. When it got bad, he knew knew when to to scoop you up. And when I was being bad, he knew how to sit me behind his, on the other side of his desk and lay it out in black and white and tell me what my consequences were. And it was never yelling. No, no, no. You didn't have to yell. So I want to do the third entity as we're wrapping this up. The third entity is the parents. It's seen as a singular unit. So when mom and dad work in harmony, they speak the same language, they work together, they share their responsibility, they balance their strengths and weaknesses. The infant, the child, eventually learns teamwork, conflict resolution, and how to live in, work in, and thrive in relationships with others. 
how did they do in one minute or less? How did they do as an entity, singular entity? <laughs> so where both Frank and Lorna were had these great strengths, they were about 50-50 when it came as teamwork. Because as a couple, there were they were they were very polar opposite in their their um interest levels and yet they try to support each other as best they could mm -hmm. but it was hard for them to support each other and as kids we saw that and and then they would be together on some things and then in some things it tore them apart and how they disciplined us and some of that those choices were not not okay they were harmful because they weren't always a team. And we're going to pick this up in the next segment. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, you can get access to this course at himmerinstitute.com along with other courses because we're building them as we speak at this point in time. So thanks again for listening. Remember, you are 100% responsible. You're going to find out, hopefully in the next segment, what is the one thing you can do to deal with the toxicity within your home? We look forward to chatting with you in the next segment. Migraines can attack anytime, anywhere. Now there's a new kind of pill you can take anytime, anywhere to treat them. Introducing Ubrelvi or Ubrojapant. Ubrelvi can provide relief from migraine pain and debilitating symptoms without worrying where you are or if it's too late. People took Ubrelvi within four hours of a migraine attack. One dose can quickly stop a migraine in its tracks within two hours, and many had pain relief in just one hour. Ubrelvi treats migraine attacks in adults and is not for migraine prevention. It is available by prescription only. Do not take Ubrelvi with strong CYP3A4 inhibitors. Tell your healthcare provider about all the medicines you take. Few people had side effects. The most common were nausea, 2 to 4%, and tiredness, 2 to 3%. While normal routines have shifted, the need for migraine treatment remains the same. Contact your healthcare provider to see if Ubrelvi is right for you. Ubrelvi, the anytime, anywhere migraine medicine. Learn about support and resources at ubrelvy.com or call 844-4-U-B-R-E-L-V-Y. Sponsored by Allergan. <gasps> Mommy, look at my boat. It's sailing. Introducing the Her Journey Around the World started in our overflowing bathroom sink policy from American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote. Find an agent. Visit AmFam.com for homeowners' policy information. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.